The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the doctor. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the lovely and fabulous powerhouse Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. We're delighted to have her live in the studio, and we are live right now. Today is December, I have to always check, 6th, uh, 2022. Uh, <laughs> Good morning. Uh, yes, welcome, because you've been, you've been globe hopping all over the place, and we've had you a little bit, and then uh, all not again. over the place, and like in some places where I didn't have uh, internet. Yeah, but last week was my fault. We have to be very clear about that. Last week was my fault because we and I forgot that we had something arranged and I was under the weather, so it didn't happen. But it was not her fault. It was entirely my fault. But all of that doesn't matter because we're both here today with all of you. And <clears throat> excuse me, in just a second, Dr. Grampichet is going to start to answer your questions live. So let's go over some of the house rules for a second. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites, and Traven will start to show those to you on the screen, the fabulous Traven. We're already saying good morning to Liliana and to Susie B. Thrilled that you guys are here with us this morning. <clears throat> I keep having a tickle, so you're going to forgive me for clearing my throat. And we have a starting topic this morning, because yesterday we were talking about when your child has a language delay. And a lot of people will write in and say, well, you know, but we've gotten the speech. We've, you know, we're doing a little bit of ABA. And, um, you know, my child, the, the question that we get the most often, in fact, the starter question that we have is my child can name over 100 things, and I'm grateful for that progress. But what I really want to know is if he'll ever be able to have a conversation with me, and how do I make that happen? So that's going to be our starting question. I'm going to go over that in a second. But I do uh, also want to say that, if you aren't familiar with Dr. Grampichet, she's a true expert in the field of autism. She's been treating and working with individuals all across the spectrum of all levels and all ages for more than 40 years. Yes. That does not roll trippingly off my tongue because it doesn't sound right. Like that can't be because look at her, she's 32. Um, so how could that possibly... I know because no one's going to believe it. It's going to be like, well, they're just lying. Um, I've checked. There is not a painting uh, that's aging underneath her bed. She just has really good genes and good skincare, and and she takes. I have zero skincare for what it's worth. I do nothing. I just don't agree. Well, whatever. Then maybe that's the thing that works. Um, but but in it, we should all do that. Nothing. Um, but uh, yes. So I was having to make the calendar for next year to start it uh, because it's December and and so I was putting your birthday on and I, and I was like oh my goodness um, that you know we're already talking about your next the birthday. big six oh uh, that's well, right I, I, I was kind and didn't put that on the calendar and I don't think anybody would believe that I am only six months older than this woman and I look old enough no to be her, her no that's not true at all it is so true not true um, but 
Uh, we're grateful for every single minute of that because you've been working your whole life in this field. Yeah, since pretty were, much. Since you were ridiculously long, young. We have yeah. to say that. You, you started this when you were, what, 16, 17? Yeah, no, I would probably say that I saw my first child when I was... 16 or 17, yeah, yeah at UCLA. So, so there is that, you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I was young. You, you were a bit of a child prodigy and uh, uh, alone at UCLA at the age of 16. Yeah. When I was still trying to figure out how to tie my shoes. Listen, uh, it wasn't fun. <laughs> I can tell you that. It was, it was a learning experience for well, sure. Um, we're grateful that you also Thank you. found time to have fun as well because it's made you a well-rounded person so that you understand people. Sure. You're not just someone who sure. studied, studied, studied. You're, you're a good person. Thank uh, you. And I know that uh, for a fact and a good and generous person. So uh, who's done quite a bit with, we don't talk about this enough, that your charity, Autism Care Today, mm -hmm. has done so much for so many people. We love it. And uh, many of you may have written in for grants. The grant cycle has closed now for the year, uh, but it's a very exciting time at ACT. Uh, yeah, and absolutely. Thank you for mentioning it, because usually around the end of the year is when we tell all of our friends and viewers and everybody, hey, if you would like, uh, if you need a tax deduction, this is the time to donate to charities. And uh, ACT Today is a 501c3. And of course, if you have uh, the ability to donate, we would very much appreciate it. Um, it goes straight to families and uh, we will send you a tax deduction form. That's right. So you can get half of your money back from taxes or Which is a pretty amazing reduced deal, by it. Yeah. Like, right. We absolutely love that. Um, so thank you for all of those things and for working so diligently thank in you. this field. My family Bennett has benefited from what you know and what you have created. Thank you. Obviously, you know, I would not be sitting here because I would be somewhere, uh, crying. <laughs> um, you know, and I can be here because my child is at college. Right. right now, that's, right. that's Which is amazing. Yeah, it, it is because people told me that that was not going to happen. Of course. And you were somebody who said, why can't that happen? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so that's one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons why I adore you. And, Thank you. And I appreciate that she takes the time to be with you guys for this hour and answer your questions. So the uh, it's open right now. You guys can be answering questions. Uh, Liliana says, thank you both for everything. Both of you ladies are beautiful and blessed. Thank, thank you. you. If you could see me five minutes ago <laughs> when I was like, we had to put makeup on this hideous <laughs> thing, um, you would laugh. Um, and Susie B said, th thank you for both for, uh, for all that you do. Thank you for what you guys are doing too. Uh, we do want to say that while Dr. Grant Pichet, I believe, is the preeminent expert in the field of autism in our time or any time, there is no expert in this or any other field who can give individually specific advice in this format. It would be a disservice to the individuals to say that you could just, you know, write in a short question and that she could see through time and space right. and see them and give individual specific advice. However, having said that, if you will write in your questions right now, the chat is open. Um, we're on Facebook, YouTube, and as I said, uh, many other sites. You can write in a question right now and have the opportunity to be speaking with Dr. Grant Pichet in real time. Uh, I did mention that our starting topic for today is getting to conversation because we know that that's a very big deal. Our starter question, my child can name over 100 things and I'm grateful for that progress, but what I really want to know is if he'll ever be able to have conversation with me. 
how do I make that happen? I feel like there are so many people nodding their heads. Yeah, there. yeah. What do you want to say about that? Oh my gosh, I'm going to go on for a bit about this. Okay. So, <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. Yeah, so, it's a very, very good sign if your child is able to say a hundred words or even, you know, ten words, honestly, because once they start to say words, it's an indication that we can progress at, in the vocal arena, right? And, you know, over, over time, we've learned a lot about how to help our kids put speech together so that it forms language. And language is always kind of like has a communicative intent, which is a little bit different than just speech. So um, I don't know where to start, but I'll just jump in, you know. So in the beginning, in years ago, when we were teaching through ABA, we would, um, there were a series of language lessons that we teach, and a lot of our kids would, you know, the kids would learn these specific different lessons, and then each child was different in terms of what they had strengths in and what was difficult for them. And then we would go ahead and modify their lessons and help them put all the different contents of speech together. So, for example, labels, object labels, which, for instance, this child has, would be one of the, the things, right? And then over time, we were like, okay, well, another thing we have to teach is actions or verbs, right? So running, jumping, waving, kissing, whatever it might be. And so we would teach that. And a lot, And also, by the way, keep in mind that the transition, how we developed these lessons would always be that you teach an item receptively first and then expressively, which actually means that I would teach using, let's say, th uh, two-dimensional stimulus cards. So like first, if you're doing object labels, it would be like a picture of a child uh, you know, a picture of an, a, 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 I don't know, a book, a picture of a tree, whatever. And also, I'm not going to go into detail about discrete trial, but, you know, there's a lot of technique involved in how you actually teach one target and you introduce distractors and then you rotate them and it becomes a process of teaching the child in rotation with other objects. And gradually we would have the, the instruction, though, would be either touch or give me point to, which is, which therefore then respond, the response of the child would be something that is uh, receptive. So they, they would like give it to you. There's no vocalization there. And then once they mastered that, you would take that and turn it into an expressive, which is what is it or who is it? And then the child would gradually start to find, to, to find their words for object labels. So then when you do the same thing for things like actions, then you do the same process also for other types of more descriptive words like adjectives, right? So like now they're called completely different things, but big, small, uh, let's say colors, you know, things that help describe the object, right? And uh, additional types of descriptive words like prepositions, like where an object is, uh, is it under something else or over, or and also pronouns, is it mine or is it yours or those types of things. So these are already like, I don't know how many, six or seven lessons. 
And if you um, you work on like the beginning and each that takes a long time. Like for those of you who are parents and you know that our kids take a long time to learn some of these things and it requires a lot of hours. And I've just now listed maybe, you know, six or seven of four or five hundred lessons. So now let's assume that I've taught a child a bunch of objects uh, labels and a bunch of verbs, uh, actions, and now maybe a couple of descriptors. Now my job is to have the child expand their language into, it's no longer just, you know, you don't just say what is it and they, they can say it's a truck, but they have to say it's the, a red truck or the red truck, or where is it? The red truck is under the bridge. Or So you start to actually require longer and longer sentences, which you're still just actually expanding their very concrete language, which is they're describing things either in pictures or in vivo, what they see, right? This is still not quite the same as conversational. Because conversational requires a lot of additional lessons, which, you know, I'll go back now and say that, so you, as years progressed, we added a massive number of things that we realized are just as important, maybe even more important in developing conversation. And those are things that we, in, in ABA language, they refer to them as introverbals. And so these are things about talking about things when they're not actually physically present. So it's not kind of a concrete response of describing something, but it's more about experiences that we've had. And if you think about conversation, a lot of conversation is about stuff that has happened. It's not really about stuff that's right in front of you. It's not descriptive. Now, fortunately, as we were developing at CARD, we were developing a lot of these types of kind of more abstract lessons. The field of ABA was going through a kind of metamorphosis as well. And the field came back and said, you know, normal language development goes through this process of where a, a child, a very, very young child, first just res, uh, requests things. And those are what we call mans. This is true. If you think of babies, all they're doing is they're requesting things, right? Like mommy or bottle or juice or outside or whatever it is they want, they're requesting, they're manning. So it became very important for us to make sure that all of our kids are also learning to mand. And that is a very easy thing to teach because it has its own reinforcer built into it, right? So it's kind of like if you teach your child to request something, they're very motivated because as soon as they request it, they get it. Yeah. Okay, so that became like a primary way of teaching. And now, so that became the first thing. The second thing, developmentally, if you think about it, is now your child, imagine the typically developing, let's say, a three-year-old who's in the back of the car, and all they're labeling everything they see. That's called tacting. And so they're going, you know, bus, uh, fire engine, man, whatever they right. see, tree, etc. And so tacting became super important. Not only was it the second kind of developmentally appropriate language area that we focused on, but it was a, it's a very, very important one because it's so hard to uh, not go off on another tangent. Right. But tacting is super important because it assumes that you, 
don't know what's in my head and I'm going to show it to you. And that is a huge part of what we're missing in the development of in kids with autism, which is theory of mind, perspective taking. So anyway, the second part of language became tacting. And then from there, you'd go on to intraverbals. And intraverbals are those abstract things. So let's say a child has now learned blue and they've learned the word sky, but can they, aside from looking up and saying sky is blue, can they describe to you, oh, yesterday's sky was blue, but today it's raining, whatever it is, right? Can they take that concept and use it in their language? So you then have to get to that point. We developed tons of lessons that would expand on that type of abstract language, right? You have all the concepts, not just the labels. You have the labels, the verbs, the descriptors of all different types, the pronouns, the prepositions, the functions of objects, you know, what do you do with something, uh, the locations, where do you see things, the shapes, like you can describe objects in all different ways. You have all that, but now can you actually start to recall things that occurred so that they are now more so and that's a very big one for parents because a lot of times parents want to know what happened in school yeah. what did you do today so a lot of times we would actually have the child we would write a kind of a diary and help the child go through and be able to recall a lot of the things that happened in school one by one first I was in class then we did uh, I don't know math and then we went out to the playground and this is what I had for lunch then I played with so-and-so, all different concepts. And this is still not conversation because this is still kind of rote, but it is helping the child expand, right? Because you have to, going from one word to using language to, ha to have meaning takes a long, long time. And you have to realize that it's, it's a hard process for our kids because they're taking all the, these concepts and in a very compressed period of time trying to make sense of them. So, so let's say you've now accomplished that and now we're finally ready to do what we call conversation, which is very easy to teach the beginning kind of rote part of conversation, which is, hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? You know, how was your day? Just those basic social things. But it is super hard to know what to say and what to ask when the topic changes, yeah. right? So now we were at a point where we had to teach our kids the difference between a statement and a question. And that brought in a whole bunch of lessons like what we called statement, statement, question, statement, question. Like if I say to a child, I had toast for breakfast, he could respond with, oh, what was on your toast, which is a question, or he could respond with, oh, I had cereal. And that's a statement, and it's a similar topic, right? And so we had to do a whole bunch of these lessons so that the child would understand what is an appropriate type of response to any statement or question that someone else would give you. And now we were finally ready to teach all the nuances of conversation, which had to do with, you know, how do I behave? How close do I stand to one other person? Uh, how do I behave if I'm in a... It, if I want to enter a group and have conversation as opposed to just one other person? What if I know the person versus I don't know them? It's a stranger, an acquaintance, or a best friend, or an adult who is my parent's friend versus my friend, and also the location. How do I converse if I'm in a classroom versus outside? 
all of these things had to be taught individual lessons. And then it was a matter of getting into deep conversations. So like, okay, so I'm, most of our kids talk a lot more about things they like and much less about things they are not interested in. But hey, we had to teach them to be patient and ask questions about things that other people are interested in. And then also know how to appropriately transition to another subject, which was of their interest. And then also be able to return <laughs> to a subject that the group is interested in, in order to not lose everyone's attention. Yeah. So just giving you kind of a overview of all the lessons, yeah. just want to give you the idea that it's not just about teaching object labels. It's a really good sign when your child can do a bunch of object labels, but there's at least another 50 lessons that have to be individually taught. And remember, each of these lessons has uh, hundreds of what we call operants. So if I'm teaching, let's say, um, objects, there's at least 100, 200, 1,000 uh, different types of objects I have to teach. Same thing with verbs, same thing with you know, colors or prepositions or whatever. There's different ones. So it takes a really long time, and once you teach all these things, and you have to do it in the right order so that the child starts to put them together and it starts to make sense. That is why, and I mean, huge, long answer, but that's why we ended up putting together or writing a massive curriculum, which we called Skills, and we spent many, many years listing as many of these as we could and also putting them in order and uh, saying which of the lessons are prerequisites to others. And also, um, you know, if your child is not progressing, teaching points, how you can make your child do better in a particular lesson, how they can, you know, just prompts and guidance for, for anyone who wants to work on this. And so it's a, it's a longer story, but you can do it. And there's a lot of um, guidance out there. There's a lot of different curricula. I still think that skills is the strongest one out there. And I would recommend that you try to get on there. I believe you can still get it licensed online so that you have access to all of these lessons. And other ABE providers have other as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, some some do. Some uh, do, yes. So um, I have a dozen follow-up questions, but I want to start with saying that all the things that you just described, if you're wanting to find, like Google and find more information about them, uh, the phrase is verbal operants. Yes, that verbal you can, operants. You can Google that and you'll go, oh, how did I not, because if you don't know that term, That's you don't right. know what to look for. That's right. Um, I love to listen to you talk about this because it's like. You remember, I, huh? It's like reliving a yeah. really exciting time when my child's language was flourishing. Yep. But it also brings up something for me, and I want to know if I'm wrong in this assumption, because I get frustrated when people write in and say, you know, we're doing things, we're doing a little bit of ABA, we're doing speech, we're getting to labels, but how do we get to the other thing? Because I know mm -hmm. in their parent heart that's the thing that they want. And people always want to say to me, Shannon, how did you get to where Jem is? Mm -hmm. Because Jem can hold his own in a conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, what we did was so exactly what yeah. no that's exactly what we did yeah. and we had it intensively so here is this crazy thing for me that people will say to me well my child has this and we have this much aba and i'll say to them well you need to do more mm -hmm. you need to do more aba because everything that you just yeah. described takes more hours 
And for me, it's a frustration because when I hear that someone's child is talking and is labeling, then I get excited because I know there are lots of kids that getting to conversation would be a challenge or even in some cases, not verbal conversation isn't going to be a possibility. Right, right. That does exist. But for kids who are labeling and have the facility to speak, then to me, it's a, it's a lost opportunity. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I try to say to people, it, you know, if you took that child and did this more intensively, I believe with all my heart, you would get further. A hundred percent. Now, it takes a whole lot of time. Yeah. It's not just doing 40 hours for one week. Right. It's, it might be, you know, depending on the child's age, doing 20 hours for three years or 40 hours for two years. I don't know what the thing is, but am I wrong in saying to people, it's like money left on the table? Correct. Okay. There's I no question. Sure that is, no, you're wrong. absolutely right. I mean, if you think about it, anything that you do more intensively, you will, ca you will master faster, yeah. right? And we're not talking about like, you know, one or two concepts. We're talking about language, yeah. which I, I even in that huge long description that I just gave for half an hour, I did not even get into a, a whole ton of nuances that also like, you know, keep in mind, a lot of our kids have attention issues. And meanwhile, you're trying to teach them all these concepts and, the sh and you also are dealing with a child who loses their attention. So it's twice as hard. So, you know, it's not enough to do 10 hours. And that's the whole reason for the intensity of ABA. And this is why I get so upset when I see the entire world of ABA changing now only due to the pressure from payers. Yep. That is the single reason. There is no other reason that we would not do intensive ABA. The only reason is that we get a lot of pushback from payers who don't want to pay for 40 hours a week. And I have to say that there's certainly enough topics for a child to learn. This is a very amazing advanced way of teaching a child one-to-one -one, and teaching them all the subjects and co topics that they were not able to learn yeah. in their early years. And I will always say that. There's no question. And in fact, there's thousands of articles that shows the more ABA you do with adults, with adults, not even with just children, with adults, the more they will learn. If you think about it, it's true of all of us. But this frustrates me to no end because I am out there and speaking again and meeting professionals and I am meeting yep. a lot of resistance yep. with professionals. And I recently did a talk and my slide said intensity. When was intensity voted off the island? Yeah. Um, science matters. When was intensity voted off the island? Because I feel like they, the, the younger people in the community, I don't, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I think that it's driven by the, the payers, but that they have taken the other reason why they're not doing it is because it's an inconvenient truth and parents don't want to hear it. Mm. To hear that your child needs to have 40 hours of therapy. Listen, I didn't want to hear it either. But I got to tell you, Shannon, before insurance, this is what's yeah. really important for me before we had health insurance. And remember, I started working in this field where there's no funding, right. right? And so all of the patients that I treated up to up until we did not have public funding or we had a very little public, but we had some school district funding and we had regional centers, which are uh, DDS, Department of Developmental yeah. Services funding, but it was minimal, right? Yeah. It was only when we got insurance yeah. that really things took off. And I will tell you, 
before insurance, yeah. if I told a parent you have to do 40 hours, they did 40 hours, not just 40. They would complain if we did 38. Right. Oh, and so the <laughs> So that's what I'm saying. But yeah. every parent was like that. And you know a lot of the kids who have recovered, you know, they're yeah. as, as adults. One of our kids just got married recently. So all of these types of things, it was because the parents also were very, very dedicated. Yeah. Because there was no, it was, you know, when, when insurance got involved, the lobby for it is very strong. They started having like, you know, TRICARE put out a bunch of articles saying, hey, intensive ABA doesn't work. You know what I mean? So there's all this other stuff that's going on, which the undercurrent to it is, is too expensive. Yeah. That's all it is. And, and once you move away from that, it, it would be an intensive science right yeah. now if it wasn't for the fact that our payers don't want to pay that much. So would it be too much for me to say to parents that are out there that have kids that are labeling, that want to get to conversation, is it too much to say to me that your child has the facility, uh, if, they're, if they're labeling things and they have 100 labels, they very likely have the facility to do conversation if you were able to put the time in. Okay, now here's the issue with that. Okay. It depends on their age. And, okay. I, and there's That's two right. reasons for okay. that. One is usually brain plasticity, so the ability for the brain. So like, you know, we all, whether it's the brain or the body or the organs or whatever it is, the, everything is made up of these neurons and dendrites, these cells that are... Uh, growing the more we learn. This is why when you have, you know, young, young children and you teach them language before the age of seven, yeah. you can, a child can become multilingual with yeah. v great ease because yeah. whatever they are exposed to, the brain is so highly flexible and plastic that it'll just produce new roots in that area and it'll just grow and it'll be like, no problem, I can speak French and German and English and yeah. whatever else. But when we get older, as you know, it becomes harder for dendrites to grow. Like we just don't have the capacity. So that's one reason is that brain plasticity slows down as, as we pass age yeah. seven. And the second reason is more and more things get in the way that we yeah. want to teach our kids. So now you have to become selective. And this, I, this is a discussion that I have with a lot of families, even my like very, very, very wealthy families who are able to have 40, 50 hours for their child, yeah. the topic now becomes, what are we using this 40 or 50 hours for? Are we actually using it to teach the child language and communication, or do we need to teach them math yeah. and science? And sometimes for some people, for some parents, it's more important that the child be able to attend school, for instance, because it appears like they now it's just something that's their priority for other reasons. And so now if I'm spending a ton of time teaching the child geography, I'm not teaching them language. That's the thing. You, as, you try, as your child gets older, now you have to select. What is your area of focus? Because there's all these other things. Yes. So what age... It's hard, right? Well, so the ideal, the ideal situation is um, the way I've always looked at it is, you know, you push as soon as you get a diagnosis, right? And sometimes we're lucky and the diagnosis is around two. Most of the time it's three or four. You get that diagnosis, you start pushing. And you, in my opinion, you hold back school as long as you can because 
you need those hours, right? And so now I'm teaching language, language, language as much as I can, social, so like things like eye contact and being able to behave, just compliance lessons to me are extremely important. So like not hitting when you want something, but asking for it, those types of things are extremely important. And assuming that I can hold the child back and do 40, 50 hours with them at the age of three, at the age of four, five even, and I'm now integrating the child into school at six, and even at six I'm doing maybe half days, I am now able to have a child who has basic language, basic social skills, basic compliance down, and yes, they're ready to learn, right? And now I can start to integrate some of the school stuff and you know, hopefully the, the, situ- the child just continues to learn. And I have to say, a lot of times that dream doesn't come true. A lot of times you have other issues. The child might have other illnesses that appear or other issues like seizures or allergies or isn't sleeping or has severe attention problems or uh, you know, their vision is not uh, receiving uh, stimuli correctly or whatever it might be and it slows down that ideal situation. But regardless, you're, you're, for me, if it's my child, my focus for my child is always going to be communication. Yeah. Um, so both speaking and receiving so that, they can, so that they can do well in life. Yeah, absolutely. We have so many questions that have come in. I'll stop. First of all, Parker, I want to say that this is not a rerun. We're live right now. It's the 6th of December, so I'm glad you're here. We're going to get to your question in a minute. But because this is on topic, Daric Angel is asking a lot of questions about how do we get the curriculum? My son can label, tell me the name of the flashcards in action, but I don't know what to do now. I'm okay. trying to get him to ask me his needs too. How do we make a schedule? Um, so talk so, about that um, a Yeah, I think that we actually, at the back of our book, the yeah, card book. on the set yesterday. Yeah, so um, you should just, and it's called Evidence-Based Treatments for Children with Autism. Yeah. At the back of it, in the appendix, and I am one of the authors on there, so at the back of it, there's all these lessons that I listed. They're all in there. So yeah. even if you don't want to get online and try to get skills, which... Yeah skills for autism and you might still be able to get a license i don't know skills belongs to card i sold card i no longer own any of that but what you can do is try to get a license and see all of these lessons on skills that being said it is in the back of the book and you can certainly take a look at all of those lessons there and then in terms of uh, materials I have found that, you know, there's a lot of places now that where the materials are sold. Lakeshore is a fantastic place still, but educational materials are available across the board. Here is the book, Evidence-Based Treatment for Children with Autism, and underneath it it says the card model. It is a very intense book. It's a long textbook type of thing, but it's very interesting. I mean, we took a long time to write this, and I will show you, it's a huge curriculum at the back. It's pretty large, and it actually even tells you, here's where the curriculum start. Actually, this is just the advanced curriculum here, but all the curriculum is in the back of this book, and it shows you samples of every lesson. It shows you, see, here's the 
This is the language curriculum. It starts here on this page and it goes on for many, many pages, as you can see. And so, and there's eight different areas. There's language, play, cognitive skills, executive functioning skills, motor, uh, what am I missing, um, uh, social um, and academic and adaptive, right? All of those different areas are detailed and uh, if you just get this, but you get this book on Amazon, I believe now. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, and it's all there. Um, and then the materials are very easy. All educational supply stores have all of these. I would still recommend that you get together with a BCBA or board certified behavior analyst because what you need is the you need two other things. One is the guidance of how to manage behaviors as well as sort of the guidance of how to teach. Like it's not as simple as just putting a stimulus in front of a child and saying label this. There's specific techniques and methods uh, there. But in addition to that, you need a little bit of guidance on kind of how to bring these lessons together. Usually what we do is you'll have somewhere, if you're doing an intensive program, this is important, if you're doing about 40 hours a week, you can have about 20 or so lessons going on at the same time. So you can have language, you know, so like actions and objects and descriptors uh, and maybe vocal imitation just to make sure the, uh, the child is actually pronouncing everything correctly. And then you'll have like some social lessons, a couple of play, and you'll have, you know, adaptive lessons like toilet training or grooming oneself, brushing teeth, etc. You might even have some cognitive lessons in there, which would be uh, in the very early stages of the, the cognitive lessons. You'd have definitely uh, some executive function stuff, which is, you know, like pointing to things that you think other people are looking at or thinking about. There's a lot of different aspects and you kind of all bring it together. And each time a therapist sits down, each set of lessons will be like you'll sit down with a child for literally two or three minutes of doing one lesson and then you'll let the child play for a minute and then you'll come back and do another three four minutes and then you'll let the child play for a minute and you do that in sessions that are two to three hours long and you just do it across the seven days of the child's life it's go. a lot it's a lot that it it's just lot. but the book explains all of this as well and I want to say, because um, I know that you're uh, in Canada, um, that before we had insurance reform, there were amazing parents yes. who put together programs to do a 40-hour program with nothing. Mm -hmm. um, I am not one of those people. I, I respect and admire those people. I don't know that I could have done that. I didn't find out about that until already we already had a 40-hour program. And believe me, I had to fight for the 40-hour program that I had. But... Um, I want you to know that people have found a way. There were people who went, they, you know, they, there are, there's a way that you can get a training for yourself for free mm -hmm. um, from the Autism Partnership Foundation and you can train yourself and other people. There are people who went to sororities and found uh, and, and got a sorority to adopt their child as their cause. Because yeah, sororities have to have a cause every year to have yep. their charter. There are people who went to their church and said, we want to train 12 people um i'm thinking about jana yeah who uh yeah. they use skills and jana it, 
they don't, their doctor didn't use the word recovered. Uh, not Jana, who, uh, who's the other, the little girl that they use skills up, they were in like Minnesota and they went to their, um, their church. Yeah. They, A lot of people have used the, like volunteers from their church. Yep. And they did two years of intensive yep. with that little girl, and her doctor considers her autism in remission. Yes, I like that. How do we that. love that word? Um, but they had volunteers who came to the house around the clock. I, I Like I said, I don't know if I would have had that in me because that seems like a great deal. It's so much work. But people did it. And the knowledge is there. And for yeah. me as a parent yeah. and, and somebody that has a mouthpiece here, I want you to know the knowledge is there. Yes. Uh, they, they've cracked the code on being able, it's all individualized. Absolutely. But the skills uh, and the lessons and the curriculum are there. Um, so I want to I get to some more questions about language, and we'll come back to some of these things. But Suyan had written in early yeah. and said, hello, my three-year-old recently started to say no don't do it. And I responded to his words very well. However, from yesterday, he started saying no every time when starting his conversation. He usually says, eat apple, uh, but says no when requesting his foods. How can I handle this situation? Could you give me any advice? Thank you so much in, uh, for your help. And but they say one more question. My son lived in a bilingual environment, Korean at home, English at home. My son has better receptive and expressive languages in Korean. Mm -hmm. Do I need to start to introduce just one language? Could you help me, uh, give mm -hmm. me any advice? Thank you so much. Yeah. So first of all, there is a lot of literature that shows that we learn faster if we are just learning one language. So it is always beneficial to start with one language. There's no question about it. I mean, if you're teaching two languages, it's going to take a lot longer. I would recommend starting with one language. Now, that being said, a lot of our kids later on learn the second or third language. So, But initially, when they're forming kind of the organization of the whole thing, I think it's important to do one language. I would suggest you go with Korean uh, because those are his – if you're living in Korea – and if what he hears around him is Korean. If you're living in the States or anywhere where it's English speaking, I would suggest you start with that because you want to have the language where there's more exposure. That, and in regards to, you know, now he's overusing the stimul the response no, you need to just start reteaching an incompatible response, which is so you will start to reteach now when you bring out his favorite food, he says, I want whatever it might be. And you'll have to model it and you will have to ignore the no when it's not appropriate. So, and this is what I was referring to earlier, which is called discrimination training. You know, it's not enough, like some, we have to learn when each response is appropriate based on the circumstances. And I don't know if in his case he's saying no because he got a response from you previously, and now it has kind of, this is called response generalization. It has become too pervasive of a response, like he's using it in everything because he likes the response he gets. Or if it's just because he's really not understanding what no means, and or maybe he doesn't even like the food you're giving him. It could be a multiple yeah. number of things. So make sure that you're starting to teach this concept with a preferred food, and prompt and model for him to say, I want whatever that preferred food is. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, he'll start to, un and then alternate it. We actually had a really good video of a child where 
he would say the foods that he likes and the foods that he dislikes, he would say, no, thank you. So you would want to have a, a little bit of the foods that he likes and the foods that he dislikes so that you can help him discriminate between the no thank you and the I want. There we go. Uh, Jayton said, ma'am, can a verbal autistic kid eventually develop conversation over years or is that after a certain age the improvement would be limited? You sort of addressed this yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can develop conversation at any age and it really just develops, it depends on how much you have learned and how well someone has helped you put it all together. It could be a, a four-year-old could be having conversation. Um, and Parker, I didn't get the first part of your question, but the, he wants to know what resources are there for grief? Uh, he's got a grandmother, but I don't know. I didn't, I didn't hear the first part of that. Uh, uh, it's become so desperate. If this is a rerun, I will email Shannon, but it's not a rerun. rerun. Right, so right. what grief resources? Oh my gosh, Parker, there are a lot of different resources for grief. Perhaps you can kind of reach out to us after and we can talk about it in regards to helping this particular person because I think it's different depending on the situation they're in, right? The most important, I think, for people to learn about grief is kind of the stages of grief that we go through. They tend to be very similar, and I think it helps people who are very sad to realize that eventually they're going to pass from the depression and hopelessness into a whole new uh, you know, stage, which is a new beginning and that this kind of sadness and grief will actually go away. But depending on how severe the grief is, I would really recommend that, you know, the person reaches out to a professional, like a psychologist, because sometimes uh, it becomes really important to have someone who's a professional who can help you get through not just the stages, but also just kind of like learn from it and understand who yourself, yourself and, and how you're feeling. It, it's, it's very tough to go through grief. It's a 15-year-old whose father died. It's oh. a, uh, so his grandmother, I think, is, goes to Parker's church. And um, yeah. he, began, it, it, he died a few months ago, and it's just hitting the 15-year-old, and he started banging his head and saying, oh. I miss my daddy. Yeah, so this is very, very tough, and I would really, really recommend that you try to find for the grandmother. I mean, this is, it's not hard to find a grief therapist. There are lots and lots of grief therapists, psychologists who focus and, and specialize in grief yeah. and depression. And I would recommend that you connect the grandmother to give the grandmother some of those resources because. When, as the grandmother learns more, the psychologist can help them give ideas for the 15-year-old. I assume because you said they're banging their head that it's a 15-year-old with autism, yeah. which means that, that you kind of need a dual specialization, someone who is a psychologist specializing in grief but also understands autism a little bit. So I think that becomes more important for the grandmother to learn that. Now, Given that I kind of know some stuff about grief and autism, I can give you, and I am a psychologist and a behavior analyst, I can give you some ideas. But the main thing is, you know, it really depends on the how much the individual, the 15-year-old comprehends about death and what are they experiencing. The assumption is they're experiencing just missing their dad. That's the big thing is the change of not having the father there and missing that individual. 
So the sooner there, I guess the, the concept is a give the person some self soothing techniques. For example, uh, allow the person, the 15 year old or teach them to have a location that is completely self soothing. So I often recommend a huge bean bag with headphones that you can put on that are calming, soothing music, maybe even uh, a video of something that the individual likes, but things that are soothing and calming and allow the individual to spend more time doing that, less demands on the individual for the time being. But also the sooner another individual can come into the picture and perhaps take over some of the role of the father so that the 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 child start is missing that less so that they are now getting a little bit more fulfillment from the new person doing those same activities perhaps or coming in and helping uh, that will help now i'm assuming the grandmother herself is going through grief obviously yeah. and the how she feels and responds is going to affect the 15-year-old as well. So if the grandmother's crying and sad and on edge, that's also the 15-year-old's also going to feel that. So, you know, given that they're part of your church community, I would say it would be amazing for the church community to go and help. Just go to the house, be with the grandmother, be with the 15-year-old, try to do activities and just with the passage of time and staying busy, keeping both of them occupied and busy, that's a huge help. Uh, People don't realize that when we have grief, we don't want to be alone. We do want others to come and be in our world because we're afraid. Uh, Grief is a lot of fear and it's just, you know, you feel empty and just afraid and don't know what you to do with yourself. And people being around you, just sitting with you, having a tea with you, watching TV with you, not allowing you to be alone, it it really helps. I love that. I I, I went to an epic funeral that was for two people um, a few years ago. It was the, the, the mother died. And within 24 hours, her, her son died. Oh my God! And so they had a double funeral, two caskets, and there was so much. And it was both <sighs> sudden, both cases, and there was so much grief. And um, and what one of the things that the pastor said was, it's important right now to just show up and be. Don't go That's and it. think that you're going to make them understand what you happened. You need to be there. There's no understanding. And I love that he said, I don't understand it. Do you understand it? Why do we have this need to, so that like somebody, whether it's someone on the spectrum or not, well, I don't, I'm not sure that they understand death. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's a good thing to be aware of, but that's not what your job is right no. now. Your job is to sit yeah. on the couch be with them. and be with them. Yeah. Um, and that, that is a very powerful tool when you have somebody that 100%. is in grief. And I will always say, you know, I went through grief at one point in my life and you become eternally grateful to the folks who are going, who are helping you just go through it. Yep. You know, and I was very, very blessed and lucky. I had Kathy Visconde yeah. and I had Stan Kurtz, mm. my dear old friend Stan. And both of them helped me tremendously oh. go through it. And, you know, you really just need someone to be with you. Yeah. 
So that's it's, you can definitely do that, Parker. There we are. Uh, okay, so Susie B says, my son, eight-year-old, is approved for 24 hours per week, but only has 12 hours per week due to the shortage in RBTs. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a very common tale. Yep. And I, I am always overwhelmed and awash with a feeling of helplessness when parents say this to me. All yep. I can say to you is that... It's not going to change until parents stand up and say, this is not okay. Yeah, that's and, right. And there's always been some form of this. I know that the challenges are unique right now, um, that we've been through a pandemic. There's a, a worker shortage in a whole lot of areas. Yeah. But you can't, you can't get stuck in that as a parent. You have to just be in the problem solve of it, and you can't worry about the whole problem. This is from me, my advice, and you tell me if I'm crazy, but it, you have to get into the problem solve mode about, okay, so if I can only get 12 hours yeah. from this agency, is there another agency that I can get more? Is it, or can I bring in p people myself? Can I train myself to be on the team? Yeah. Like get in the mode of, okay, well, my kid needs this. Yep. How am I going to do it? Yep. And when I see parents click into, it's funny because Nancy Allspot Jackson and I were talking last night and, you know, we both feel inadequate in, about different things. And I said, oh, you know, I, I just feel like, uh, about a couple of things. And, and she said, what are you talking about? You're, you know, you're so accomplished. And I said, no, 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 no. If I say this over and over, if I could in any point of my life apply the energy that I applied <laughs> to autism for my son and the single, my, I always used to describe it was like a horn on my head. That's the only thing you were I believed on. We yep. were, that we needed to get a certain place and it didn't matter if it was happening right now, yep. we needed to get there. And I had this horn on my head. I said, if I could apply that to other areas of my life, yep. I would be reduced ridiculously successful. I know, I know. And, and so I, but I've watched other parents get that horn on their head and go, I don't care what comes out of your mouth. You're telling me that I can only have 12 hours? Yeah. My kid is going to get 40. If it's not from you, I'm going to get it another way. And I'll tell you something, when you get that specific, things happen. Yeah. The universe opens up and, and you're looking for the solutions, not why it can't happen. That's right. And things show up. That's right. And Susie, actually, I think you are one of those parents who does get things to happen. In fact, I think yes. I'm seeing you in about a, two hours. <laughs> I think I'm actually doing an eval with you today. Is it today or another day? I think I it's think another it's, day. I don't know, but I think it's coming up. I think, I think it's I, I feel and, like and, it's later this week, but, but, I, I, but I might be wrong. Yeah, well, I think I have an eval at today so and but I, I don't it's think it's Susie. with her I oh, think okay. it's with somebody else okay I so, think I'm okay. not sure it could be but it, the thing is that it's so you got that and like you are one of those parents that is actually making things happen so why don't you for instance try to find a couple of really dedicated good high school students mm -hmm. that you can pay minimum wage to and uh, apply for a grant at ACT, for instance, ACT Today, yep. and maybe we can help you with a grant, and then you can hire a team of people who can learn from the other RBTs or from your BCBA, and you can try to increase it. You know, Parker brought up church. A lot of families have had, like, volunteers from church come and produce the team. Back in the day, I mean, if you ever, if you guys watch the movie we made, the documentary called Recovered, mm -hmm. one of the families on there, Ruffin, um, his mom, 
uh, actually had a lot of volunteers from their town, and that was the team. That yep. was the team. So you you can and, make it happen. I know it's very hard, but you know you can make it happen. And Ruffin just finished getting his what second PhD. He and... got his doctorate, and he's uh, lecturing all over the yeah. world and working in robotics and yeah. Uh, we've got time for one last question. Taryn had written in from South Louisiana. Her three-and-a-half-year-old is in ABA 35 hours a week. Look, Taryn, like, come on. That's amazing. Uh, has done well, so well since he started about eight months ago. He is now verbal and potty trained. I was wondering when and if I should have him tested again since he's made so much progress, and how long should I keep him in ABA? And thank you all. That's wonderful. How old is he? He is three and a half. Oh, yeah, you got to stay in there for a little bit. Yeah. No matter how much <laughs> progress he's made, I'm, I guarantee you there's more to be learned. Yeah. But I, w I used to like to have an eval done every year so that I could, it would help me see kind of what the progress is. Um, and if you do it too soon, it just... It, it invalidates it for some of the tests, right? It, uh, well, it, not only are you not allowed to do these tests that yeah. frequently, but the thing is that you want to see real progress, right? And if you are evaluating someone every other month, they just haven't had enough time to show progress yet. And that might discourage you and the team, and that's not the case. You just need to give the child a little bit more time. So my preference was annual, and I would do annually. I would do language testing, but I would also do questionnaires that evaluate kind of the severity of autism symptoms like the PDD, uh, the PDDBI, I believe one of them. And it's kind of like gives you an idea of like, oh, you know, this he used to have no language or no eye contact, but now he has eye contact or, yeah. you know, those types of things. And it, it helps to do these evals. Now, as the child starts to progress and get into the higher levels, I would always do more tests of cognitive ability. So not IQ necessarily, although IQ tests do give you a lot of information about the child's how they learn, the types of things that they learn easily and what's harder for them and what kind of memory they have. That's all through IQ. But what gives you a lot of information is neuropsych testing, like the NEPSI and so on. And that, that's more appropriate when your child's a little bit older, like five or six, and now you're really trying to kind of find the, the holes that remain. But at three, I would do every year, I would do language testing and make sure language is progressing. There you go. That's powerful, powerful. I, we really have a minute and a half, so I'm going to go for this one last question. Sure. Uh, hello, I have a son three years and 10 months old. He doesn't like voiding on a toilet. He holds the pee for up to 16 hours when wearing underpants, but voids normally when in a diaper. Could you suggest what to do? And, and it's Olina writing from Canada. Yeah, we actually had a... We did, it's funny because there was a paper published on this subject mm. is that, uh, you know, it, it, it uh, throws things off and our kids uh, try, think that because they don't have the diaper on, they're not allowed to yeah. pee. And so there's a number of different things you can do. You can actually uh, use the diaper and underwear. So you can put the diaper on as well as underwear and that starts to get the child to understand that, oh, you know, I can have the diaper, the underwear on, but I'm allowed to yeah. actually pee. But what I would recommend is whoever taught your child toilet training. I don't know if you had someone. How did they say how old? Uh, three years, ten months. Three. So he's very young. Okay. 
I would go through a full toilet training procedure. Um, and hopefully you can find someone who can help you. We usually follow the Fox and Azrin toilet training procedure. We have tons of videos on this from our shows in the past yeah. because I think it becomes really, really important for the child to understand that whether it's a, a diaper or a pull-up, which is the middle stage, or an underwear, uh, the, it, the object is to take it off and void in the toilet. That's the thing that's missing right now. Your child seems to think that they can only void if they have contact with a diaper. Mm -hmm. And I think it becomes really important to use the diaper, but teach the child, like perhaps not a diaper, but a pull-up. And you teach the child to remove the pull-up and go to the bathroom. And I know that you said like a huge number of hours, I don't know, 15 Six, hours, 16. 16 hours or so. But if you continue to give the child liquids and continue to stay on a schedule, so you will go to the toilet, take the diaper off, the pull-up off, and actually sit on the toilet for, let's say, 15 minutes every hour, hour and a half, and continue. Eventually, the child will void. Like, there is no way that he won't. He will eventually. Yeah. Use the good old technique of having wa running water, you know? Yeah. It, it does help, yeah. strangely yeah. enough. And uh, so continue to do that for a period of like two days or so, and you'll see that it happens. It's, it, some of our kids just are trying to be honestly compliant, obedient, yeah. and they think they're not allowed to. The other thing is, yeah, it's funny to say, but modeling. You know, for a lot yeah. of our kids, when dad models, <laughs> if it's a boy or you model, it helps because they understand that it is okay to void in the toilet as opposed to in a diaper. So funny. Yes, we love. The funny story that was always told was that we were in clinic one day and we had been told to model the behavior yeah. for Jem. And so, of course, my husband took that very literally and we just got in the habit of when we would pee, we would You'd go, yay! <laughs> and my husband went, left the clinic to go to the, the restroom across the hall where you could hear things, yeah. right? And we were in the clinic and we could That's... hear my husband in the bathroom and, you know, he, then we, we, you know, we didn't hear him doing anything, but then we heard, yay, he was in there he by was himself. himself. Oh yes, God, because he was so... used to it. But, you know, I mean, I would rather have that than, you know, so than a husband who's like, I'm not saying yay when I pee. That's so um, funny. So, yeah, and that, yeah. that's actually a very good point too, quickly, is the reinforcement like yeah. make sure that there's a huge amount of reinforcer yeah. when your child actually does void. Big, big, big. All right, that's all the time we have for today, uh, but I believe we have you back next week. Yes, definitely. So that's fabulous. So guys, bank your questions and have them ready for us. We are back tomorrow with a big show. Uh, we're going to be talking to the people who are the owners of the company Fun in Motion. They're the ones who make that fabulous Shishibo that I'm absolutely obsessed with. And they have another toy out that's on our toy guide this year, uh, the Mosey, which nice, is super, nice. super fun. They're going to be with us. We're also having uh, Matt Asner and Nava Paskowitz Asner tomorrow. We're going to be giving away, we are right now giving away 25 tickets to their event on Sunday, which is the table mm. read of It's a Wonderful Life with Brendan Fraser playing George and Christina Applegate playing Mary. Oh, I mean, they have like a oh, ton oh, of celebrities James in this Cromwell. One. It's I mean, amazing. Gene Smart. It's, it's like it's an knee, amazing knee deep array. in Oscar and Emmy winners, right? 
Um, and I didn't know previous to this that Brendan Fraser is an autism dad. Oh, I didn't know that either. And amazing. so I just have that much more love for him yeah. now. What an amazing guy. He's having the year of his career. Amazing. Uh, there's so much Oscar buzz Good around time. him for The Whale. I can't wait to see it. But um, so they're going to be with us tomorrow as well as the Fun in Motion folks. Don't forget that on Thursday we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And we've got a fabulous rabbi who's going to be joining us awesome. to talk about um, some different things, hopefully including Hanukkah coming up and ways nice. that we can accommodate. And we're also going to have Isabella Hoffman and Atticus Baldwin are going to be with us. Wow. On I know it's a big, big uh, week. So make sure that you guys tune in for all of those things. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for Bye now. Bye, everyone.